Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Unfortunately, as many of us have seen in the headlines in recent months, redundancies and layoffs have taken place across a variety of sectors, affecting numerous employers and employees. With many industries suffering during the pandemic and some now suffering afterwards, many companies are crying out for help in managing redundancies. But luckily to talk about this topic today and to share some expert guidance for leaders and organizations everywhere, we're delighted to be joined by one of the leading experts in Ireland in this area, Brida O'Malley, partner at Hayes Solicitors Employment Law Group and accredited mediator. Thanks for joining us, Brida. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Owen, and thanks for inviting me in. Delighted to share with your listeners and to add value where I can. Brilliant. Thanks for, thanks for your time. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen, and delighted to have you here, Brida. It's not a very cheery topic, obviously, redundancy, but um, at the same time, it's something that's becoming more common, isn't it, every day of the week these days? Yes, it's, it's a needs must scenario, unfortunately, and I think it feels even harder when we're talking about people losing their jobs in this entry to Christmas. So I'm sensitive to the human side of it as well. It's easy for me to focus on the legal technicalities, but there's a human story behind every single Mm -hmm. redundancy. So we're always mindful of that in our advice. 100%. Unfortunately, that's why we're talking about it today, because it is quite topical at the moment. It can be quite tough this time of year. So let's jump right in, I suppose, and and try to share some advice as best we can. So, Rita, first question to kind of set a bit of context. Is there, and I know the answer to this, but just to, I suppose, contextualize it. Is there a kind of a set process for redundancies? What are the steps when it comes to redundancy? Yeah, there is a process. Is it set? No, but there's a prescribed and recommended process. It does need to stay dynamic. As was what's at its essence, it's that if we establish that there's a genuine redundancy, and we can come back to, if you wish, what that is and how we identify what is a genuine redundancy. If we're in a place where we have an employer who says, yes, I have a genuine redundancy scenario, and assuming it's in, uh, affecting a few people rather than a collective redundancy scenario where the numbers are bigger, in that situation, there is required to be a fair procedure followed in order for it to be legally valid. That involves there being engagement and consultation with the affected individual. And there's various stages to that consultation process with a view to seeing, firstly, is there a way of avoiding the redundancy? And secondly, if there is no way of avoiding it, is there another opportunity for the employer to employ the same individual, perhaps in a different role, so that it's only as a last resort that we come to the decision that, no, you and your role is going to be a dismissal, a termination of employment by reason of redundancy. So it's really to allow for a fair process. As to timings around that, if you like, do you want me to run through kind of what I see as a typical scenario of timing like in an yeah, situation? And again, reminding people, this is the individual scenario, unlike collective, where there's a 30-day period once a minister is notified. I'm not speaking about that just now. 
So this is where an employer sees, look, I no longer need X role. What do they do? They're required to call in the individual. If it's a unionized environment, they might want to prompt the individual to come along with their union representative or otherwise to come with a colleague and to come to a meeting. I would recommend in person. I know we've all moved to the online environment and that's fine, but I think for these sort of life-changing situations, if at all possible, I would recommend it be done in person. And it's to afford somebody the dignity of looking in their eyes to tell them a difficult human news story that's going to affect them and their families. So it's letting the person know that their role is at risk. And it's really important that an employer doesn't say your role is redundant because it's way too early in the first meeting to say to an employee, your role is redundant. Best case, you're being told that there is a risk that your role is at, at risk of being made redundant. And there's a very important distinction here as well between the person's role and the individual, because a redundancy is not about Tom, Mary, Sally, and whether or not the employer likes or dislikes or appreciates the performance or otherwise. It's as to whether a particular role that is being fulfilled by somebody is required. So in essence, the individual will be told their role is at risk of redundancy. They would be asked to reflect on that. Usually it would be say, look, take a day or two, come back to me maybe in two days time along with the representative again. Having digested this, because there's always a shock element, even if somebody can see in their business organization that things aren't going so well, it's always a shock when you get the actual news that my role is gone because it's not of the person's own making. It's not like when you or I might decide to leave an organization, somebody else is taking the decision from you. And basically, if it's put to the individual to go away, digest it, see, are there ways to avoid it? And what does that look like? Like an individual might say, God, how am I supposed to avoid it? You know, the individual will know their role better than many others. So they might be able to say, look, I think this could be done on a three-day basis. Or I could see this could be done on five mornings and I can see the setbacks in the business and I can see there's a loss of clients, etc. So I'm prepared to work it on a part time basis. That's one opportunity. Another thing to avoid a redundancy might be to say, look, I'm more than happy to job share. And I know another person here in the department is kind of eager to job share. So rather than somebody lose their job, could we do job share? So there's lots of different ways. Or it might be somebody that could say, look, I can take on other responsibilities that I can see you're hiring for. So could I do that? So it's really as creative as one wants to be, but being businesslike and tailoring it to the particular organization with a view to seeing can the redundancy be avoided. So then when the individual comes back, that discussion takes place. And for instance, if the conclusion is reached that regardless of what suggestions have been made, they're not viable, ultimately it's the employer's call as to whether they're viable or not. An employee might have a strong view, but it is the employer's call having listened and digested and debated it to decide what's right for their business. And I would say too, that an employer is entitled to make wrong decisions and unwise business decisions. They're not unlawful, so long as that they're considered and consulted about. And if it gets to the place that, well, sorry, I still don't see a way having gone through this consultation of avoiding your role being redundant, then the conversation moves on to the next phase, which is, do we have any vacancies in the organization? Do we have an opportunity to redeploy you given your skill set, your experience, your training? And if the individual can be redeployed, great, then their employment continues, but just in a new role. And an employee would not be entitled to a redundancy payment if an employer has a suitable alternative employment or role to offer to the individual. In that scenario, an employee can't say, well, 
actually for the money can I go there's no right to be made redundant uh, redundancy is a kind of a worst case scenario if there's no reasonable alternative so in that scenario you might be as an employee moved into a new role you might be wild about it and really your choice if it's a suitable alternative um, and your terms haven't changed and it's not a demotion is to either get on with it or effectively resign but you wouldn't be entitled to a monetary payment like a redundancy sum in that situation and then if there is no redeployment opportunities um, an employer generally moves then to notify the employee both verbally in another in-person meeting and echoing it in writing to say your employment is going to be made redundant you'd be given an end date you know that can't be for at least two weeks but the person might be on guard and leave during that period or they might be required to work and serve the notice and sometimes the redundancy might take effect for a few months because there might be work to do during the notice period so somebody might get quite a long lead in and it's helpful as well like i would often say to employees when we act for them that it can be helpful to ask an employer that even if they don't require your service for the notice period that if you're going to be looking for a job that you be actually put on guard and leave so that as you're out in the market looking for a job, you're in a job while looking for a job. So you're still employed and you're negotiating from a current remuneration package as distinct from negotiating from zero where you're unemployed and your leverage that is very different for your new role and new remuneration package in your next role. Ultimately, then, for an employee, there's the situation of can I appeal it? And it is recommended while it's not set down in the Redundancy Payments Act. It is best practice and it's recommended by the Workplace Relations Commission and Labour Court that an appeals facility be provided to employees to appeal and set out the grounds of their appeal as to why, whether it's on the genuineness of the redundancy or the lack of fairness of the procedures, why this redundancy shouldn't proceed. And then if ultimately the appeal by the employee goes ahead and isn't successful, then the employer can proceed to make the individual's employment redundant. So that's the sort of a bird's eye view of what the process looks like. And then there's, let's say if you're an employer preparing for this, you tend to prepare scripts for those meetings and also letters to issue, certainly out of the first meeting and the final meeting and sometimes the in-between meetings. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So definitely a lot to it and definitely a lot to think about when, when employers are going through it. I suppose we briefly mentioned uh, collective redundancies there at the top of the call, Brida. Um, could you kind of briefly, if possible, I suppose, because I, I doubt it is brief, could you talk to us about some of the kind of intricacies or the complications when it comes to collective redundancies yes. and what makes them different? So the, there is a Protection of Employment Act of 1977, and that reflects a European directive, which says that, look, if there are significant numbers of people being made redundant in a workforce over a 30-day period, that there are certain steps that need to be taken. And you know, in terms of your listeners, I'm not going to bore them with the details of what the numbers are because it varies depending on the size of the organisation. But for anyone that's interested to know that, if you literally Google what are the numbers for collective redundancies in Ireland, you'll see the scales there. And it goes right up to everything from an organisation from 20 people up to an organisation of over 300 people as to um, how many need to be made redundant within a particular number of days. Um, but I suppose what's the difference between that and the individual scenario? The, the employees that are at risk of redundancy, they're given a right to appoint representatives if they don't already have trade union representatives representing them generally. And those representatives engage with the employer on behalf of the group of affected employees with a view to, again, looking at similar that you'd look at in the individual scenario, i.e. is there any way of avoiding these redundancies, but 
also maybe you'd see things come up in a collective consultation like if there's an area that's going to be sort of almost become a ghost town as a result of a very significant factory closing down it might be that you bring in solace and other state agencies as part of the negotiation to work with the employer and work with the group of employees and trade unions to say look how can we attract other industries into this area um it might be getting IDA to say look who have you coming in on the books might we attract them there so it's sort of a broader scope there's a social element to it there's also a political element where the relevant minister the names of the ministers change but effectively it's usually whoever's in charge of employment and innovation um the minister has to be notified in writing um it's 30 days before the first redundancy takes effect and that's before somebody's given notice of dismissal the um the relevant minister has to be notified in writing of the same information that an employee and employee representative and trade unions entitled to be advised about and that's like how many people are likely to be affected what is the reason for it what is the employer going to pay the employees over and above the statutory minimum amount you know is the employer going to give some enhanced redundancy payment and if so what is this what other measures are put in place like some employers will offer outplacement maybe pension advisory maybe um um subvented legal support tax advice you know it's all of that sort of engagement and that's with a view to arming the um relevant minister that they're not caught unawares for a particular local constituency and hearing it in the media or hearing it on Joe Duffy that instead they're able to be told in advance so that they can take steps politically to prepare to support a community that's going to be hit by a collective redundancy situation. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thanks for that. That's a lot of context there. It's fantastic. And I suppose we get a sense from the process there that there is a lot to think about. So Mary, I suppose my question for yourself, Mary, is what are some of the main challenges from, I suppose, your experience? What are the tricky things that employers, companies tend to struggle with when it comes to redundancies, Mary? As Breda says, you've got to separate out whether it's individual redundancy or a collective redundancy and both present different challenges really from the employer perspective. I guess from my point of view, we're always coming at it from a HR implementation of the process perspective. And we get so many calls from HR people who are tasked with, I guess, leading these restructuring or downsizing or redundancy processes. And so the challenges often are they don't know what to do and they're finding themselves uh, involved in extremely difficult and emotionally fraught situations. As Breda rightly pointed out at the at the start of the episode, you know, there's a human being behind every single redundancy. There's a, a group of humans who may be told that they're at risk of losing their jobs. And that makes for a difficult and a fraught uh, environment whereby people are potentially devastated by the news you're giving them. And look, we've seen recently with some very high profile uh, company announcements about redundancies and the impact and effect it has on individuals, their future and their earning 
capability going forward. So that's that's the first challenge. I would always say that there's a human being behind the story and there's a HR person who's leading this process. And depending on their skill level and depending on their experience, they may never have encountered anything like this before at the scale at which they have to manage it. And so from a management team perspective and a HR manager's perspective, it can be really, really challenging. And, you know, I've, I suppose, worked my way through the recession, the depression, the pandemic, now on to the energy crisis. And, and redundancy is an ongoing feature and has been an ongoing feature of my, my daily work for many, many years. And always it's a difficult process. There are steps to be taken and they're quite clear, but the, the human element is what makes it challenging. 100% and I suppose this is a question coming from a, a non-numbers guy, Mary, to be honest, but the formula for redundancy payments, is there a set formula for that? That's got to be a challenge as well, I think, for some people, is it? Yeah, so the statutory redundancy is two weeks pay per year of service plus one bonus week, all of which are capped at €600. And look, depending on the industry, that may be well below somebody's uh, weekly take-home pay or or monthly salary uh, or above in certain circumstances, depending on the sector. But as Breda talked about, there is often an expectation and, and a lot of the consultation period, whether that's in a non-collective redundancy process or a collective redundancy process, centres around the pay, what the payment is going to actually be. And there can be some pretty tough negotiation from a trade union perspective or from an elective, elected representative's perspective. You know, if, if you have to hold elections for representatives within the business, they'll fight hard to to increase that payout. And a lot of the focus, I suppose, switches from, you know, how can we avoid this? How can we minimize it to how much money are you going to give people that you're making redundant? Um, and anything above the statutory minimum can you know it be an enhanced package for an employee and anything above the statutory minimum allows the employer to put in place a termination agreement you know which can ultimately protect their business interests going forward and and avoid claims to the WRC afterwards but that's probably more of Breda's area than of mine uh, the claim bit Brilliant. So I suppose when it comes to the kind of soft skills side of things, and this is a question I'll ask you both, I'll come to yourself, Breeder, first for this one, if you don't mind. So how important are kind of soft skills like empathy, compassion, communication when it comes to redundancy? I don't even like using the, the term soft skills sometimes because these are, I suppose, important considerations. But how important are they really when it comes to redundancy, things like communication, compassion, that kind of thing? I guess when you're asking me, you're asking me in the context of my role as legal advisor. And I'm not one of these professional people that distinguishes between personal and professional in how I deliver my services as a professional or in terms of how I would encourage and coach our team here to do so. Because from my perspective, we're all human beings and I don't just segregate that piece of me and leave it at the door. So when I meet clients, I meet them as human beings. And oftentimes, if I'm meeting somebody that sends me an email to say, can I come for a consultation? You know, I generally ask for a summary in advance, one to two page summary. Once I get a sense that it's a difficult story, I usually recommend that they bring what we describe in Ireland as your, your Anamkara, 
you know, your close family friend, somebody that is there as your emotional support, because it is really difficult. And I don't want to underestimate that. And you will have, there's, there's a spectrum. There's some people that cope very well with news of change. There's some people that completely throws them over. And, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach, either for me or as legal advisor. And I have to be alert to that and sensitive to it. There's some people that rub their hands with glee. I'd say they're probably more the minority, but when they hear this redundancy thinking, sure, happy days, I was going to Australia anyway, I was about to resign, now I have money to take with me. There are others where it's like, yikes, particularly when the heightened sensationalism around redundancies coming in the media, the people start to get really nervous coming into Christmas, increased expenditure time. If they have young families, for instance, perhaps the only income earner in the family, yikes, you know, how long is it going to take me? to get another job. Because if this was 12 months ago when I was made redundant, I'd probably have said I'd be in a job in jig time. Now, will it be as easy? And I know there's some organizations that are still recruiting, so I don't want to be doom and gloom about it. But I think there is that early mover advantage in many ways for people that are made redundant now, if there are more to come, that at least if you get out now, there's probably still recruitment happening in other businesses. But I, I ultimately, could I give the legal advice without empathy, without compassion? Yes, I could. I could give blunt technical legal advice. It's just that I wouldn't function as a professional in that way. So, you know, it can be done, but I, I don't think it's an appropriate way to serve clients who are going through difficult times. Mm, 100%. And Mary, I suppose we saw kind of a public differentiation between approaches. I suppose it's, it's social media, so there's a, a bit of a, what would you call it, a disclaimer there. But we saw... One company a, a CEO sent out a, a lovely email to people, offered support, was very transparent. Another company got some criticism over the way they handled things. So I suppose, Mary, anything to add there around that communication, compassion piece when it comes to announcing these redundancies and going through with them? Yeah, I agree with Brida. I mean, all of these processes are tough and there are human beings at the centre of them. And, and kindness and compassion and decency goes a very long way in, I suppose, helping people at a really difficult period or, or juncture in their lives. And, and I talk about managers and HR people at that point too, because so often I've had HR managers uh, on the phone crying to me because things have got really tough or stressful or accusations are being made during a, a redundancy process. There's nothing like a redundancy consultation period for everything that the company has ever done wrong in the eyes of the employee to come out and be front and centre and be thrown at the management team. And the management team are human beings as well who are tasked with what's not an easy job. And that's not to deflect from those who may be losing their roles, but I suppose a, an appreciation for how difficult all of this can be. We at Insight HR, when we're involved in, in either giving advice on these processes or involved in managing these processes on behalf of our clients, we would very much uh, ensure that, you know, the management team are properly scripted, that they're saying the right things, that they're really thinking carefully about big holidays they might have planned, new cars that they might be buying, things that may distress and upset other people. You know, I've had it certainly levelled during consultation processes, 
you know, the fancy vehicle that the MD just bought could have preserved a number of roles. And, you know, at those moments, you're looking around and thinking, you know, it would have been great if I'd had the heads up to know that that was going to happen. So you need to guide and advise the management team carefully and they need to really think through all of this properly, uh, including, you know, when are they going to start this process and, and when might it finish? So, you know, if you were to start a 30-day consultation period now, you know, where is it going to land? At what point are you going to be issuing people notice? Um, and you'd be surprised the difference between doing something before Christmas and after Christmas and, and the impact that you might have uh, and the distress that you might cause given your timing. So that's not to say if you've got to do something, you've got to do something. If you haven't got a choice, you've got to act whenever you can. But think about employee emotion. Think about your timing. Think about your planning. Don't start this process until you're clear about how you're going to handle it and who's going to be involved. And like I always say when I'm trying to break down these processes for people, you need someone to make the announcement. You need people to do the consultation period. You need somebody available to issue notice. You need somebody available to uh, hear appeals if there are any appeals. And you've got to plan all these things through very, very carefully before you start, because sometimes things really come a cropper in the middle of processes because they haven't been thought through well enough. And I suppose before we jump into that, I suppose the final words of advice, Rita, I think anyone who kind of follows HR news, employment law news, WRC, that kind of thing, will have seen that there's a lot of unfair dismissal claims in the courts and in the headlines lately. So this is something that can go wrong in a sense and does does quite often, does it, Rita? Yes, Actually, interestingly, I think in the last year, we have seen a significant development in that because traditionally, if employers sidestep the process or give it short shrift, there wasn't a whole lot of re redress there for individuals if the redundancy itself was actually ultimately genuine. However, there have been two recent cases where effectively the employees have got akin to a year's salary each where the process wasn't followed and there was a sort of a tick the box exercise or none at all adopted by the employer to get to the end line of effecting a dismissal on grounds of termination. There's also the prospect, and we see one in the media at present over the weekend, in terms of a redundancy process. And while that's more unusual, and generally now we tend to say high court injunctions to prevent dismissals aren't routine in respect of redundancy situations, that a case in the media this weekend shows us that there are still ways of access to the High Court if there's particular idiosyncrasies that are prevailing. And we can see that that situation, I'm deliberately not getting into naming any individual employer here, but that particular individual, uh, that particular situation is throwing up things that haven't been routine or run at the mill in what we would know as redundancy processes. So one can see how it has got to the High Court in this case, and that's not to comment on the rights or wrongs of it or in any way to prejudge it, but just noting really that there are exceptional circumstances arising there, which have meant that the access door to the high court, which is normally not there in a redundancy scenario, has found itself available to the claimant in this case. Mm -hmm. 
Brilliant. So I suppose we always kind of finish off the podcast with that advice question, the guidance and advice for employers. So I suppose this is something I ask both of you, but I'll come to yourself, Mary, first. So kind of briefly, do you have any last minute advice, tips and tricks for employers who may be kind of facing the prospects of having to lay people off anything that they should be particularly aware of? Yeah, so starting at with the basics, you've got to know the law, you've got to know what you can and can't do. So you need to first of all establish whether or not you're dealing with the collective redundancy situation or not. Um, the consultation period is really important and that should be meaningful but it should also be documented uh, it's important that you have a, a record of all of the steps that you have taken to consider alternatives to look at other options other than making cuts to your labor costs um, and then really it's about preparing um, before you make the announcement and being very, very clear about what it is you're going to do. You do need to understand that it is difficult. It is stressful. It, it is something that is likely to cause distress and you have to be prepared um, to deal with that as part of the process. And when you're selecting those who are going to make the announcement, do the consultation, issue the notice. You really do have to brief them very, very well, make sure they're ready, make sure they're able to cope with the pressure that comes with that consultation process and that process of issuing notice and give appropriate supports too. And I always shout out to HR people because I know HR people get tasked with leading these projects are leading these processes and um, you know look for support get your advice make sure you know what you're doing don't start without it 100 i suppose same question to yourself be any advice there kind of legal or otherwise for for people who might be facing these situations yeah i thought what mary said earlier let's say from inside hr's perspective that if you're guiding and assisting clients on this you put a lot of heavy emphasis on the planning so that you don't come out of the traps with this story half-baked, that you really make sure you've sat down and you understand what are the requirements you could fulfill, what's the timeline around it, what's your step plan, have you someone set apart that's not involved that can do an appeal in due course, what are the vacancies you have in the context of redeployment. You know, really, that's a thorough deep dive done. I think that's absolutely key. Where I see these go wrong, and where I see people being unsettled and upended is where the news is out, but employers don't have answers to the most routine kind of questions. And inevitably, if I'm given news today that my role is at risk, by the time I've gone home to my housemate or my partner tonight with that news, I've come in tomorrow with five questions related. And I need to have those questions answered. And my employer needs to be ready and ahead of me with the answers. So as distinct from, oh, well, we'll have to think about that and we'll come back next week because you lose the room. And while you lose the room, you're damaging your PR, your reputation, your brand as an employer. And I think employers need to be aware that this isn't just a HR exercise. And I don't mean just in that sense, because uh, as we've all agreed here, people are at its core. But this has ramifications for the business in terms of reputation, in terms of will people be attracted to it? Will people who currently are employed want to stay if they see that their peers aren't being treated so well on the way out? And another aspect I would say is some employers come to these things in the sense of 
we want to spend the least money possible. And sometimes there's a business imperative for that, that things are really lean and you need to keep it really tight. But sometimes it's just tight for tight sake. And I would say that, well, it's not my prerogative to spend any employer's money, that if there's some leeway there on the cash, be more generous with it. Because, you know, firstly, it's reflective of what we do. If you were speak, to speak to IBEC, they would say to you, the norm is five to six weeks per year of service um, as the norm now for enhanced redundancy payments. That's not compulsory. But if that's what your peer organizations are doing, it's going to be a competitive disadvantage not to be in the same league. And secondly, what it's going to mean to an individual coming into Christmas, for instance, if you're made redundant to have something extra in the kitty to take home to the person's family, just take some of the bitterness and sting out of it. And ultimately, I say all of these things, we're not in a sprint, we're in a marathon. And businesses don't go into business to be out of business next year. I assume even if they let people go now, there can be a cycle where they're recruiting in a year or two. And you want to be seen as a good place to work and a decent employer. So I think there's a lot that employers can do to serve that interest. Absolutely. And it's another classic example, I suppose, of not just what you do in these processes, but how you do it as well. So it's yeah. fantastic to get those insights from, from Mary and Rita. So thank you both for a very insightful discussion. Really got some great insights there. And hopefully we helped a lot of people, um, I suppose, be at ease when if they are facing this or be, I suppose, be more well prepared if they do have to face it in the future. So thank you both. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Rita. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.